start talking about hope and joy and all those Christmas things, but, but this is one of those years it has been where we need to find hope in our uncertainty, uncertainty of, of what's happening in this world. You know, every generation has that uh, question of, where were you then? You know what I'm saying? Some cultural seismic event, as it were. You know, where were you when Neil Armstrong landed on the moon? You know, some of you can answer that question. Other of us were still in the wound. <laughs> where were you when JFK or Martin Luther King were, were, were shot and killed? And where were you when maybe when Columbine happened or 9-11 happened? Usually it's centered around some type of a tragedy. And some of us, it pre, you know, this kind of predates us. Um, but, uh, you know, this year is one of those questions of not where were you, but when did you first realize that coronavirus was for real? You know, because at first it was, oh, we just need to do this for a few weeks and, and then it'll all be over. But, you know, moments like these are, are big. They change things. They're, uh, you know, there's no kind of going back in a sense. There are cultural shifts to these. And our lives will never be the same. Now, in many ways, we will go back to the same things that we used to do. But in many ways, things have changed. Unfortunately, many of these tend to be, you know, negative events that we talk about. Where were you when or, or where were you at when you found out? Catastrophes or tragedies, uh, they strike with no warning and introduce a new sense of, of uncertainty into our lives. Well, that's 2020, isn't it? Welcome to the year 2020. We all want it to be over. I mean, wow, what a year. 2020 will be remembered. It will be remembered for the good, the bad, the ugly, and the wonderful, kind of all rolled up together and just thrown down a hill, you know? Has there ever been another year filled with such uncertainty, at least in our lifetimes? This has to rank one of those, you know, top 10 of unexpected happenings and, and uncertain events due to, to its ongoing, you know, uncertainty. I mean, you could write a, a sci-fi novel and a movie straight out of, straight out of these headlines, and, and, you know, some people would be like, oh, that could never happen. Well, we just experienced it. You all know what's on the list. We've been living it for, for almost a full year, it seems like. I mean, it seemed like just, uh, you know, we left, uh, last year I put up these uh, paintings that we got that, that really are the Christmas season, the Christmas scene, and, 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 you know, they went all the way around our sanctuary, and we're going to get them back out again this year, but we, you know, it seemed like we left those up a little longer because they were kind of new to us, and it seemed like I just took them down in March, and we're putting them right back up, and I'm like, well, no one, we haven't been here for that long, you know? We've had global pandemic, economic recession, mass unemployment, political division. Oh, how we've had political division. Cultural upheaval, racial reckoning, you know, record, you know, wildfires happening, uh, complete with fire tornadoes, extra powerful hurricanes, and floods. Now, have I missed anything? I mean, you could probably, you know, the killer bees, right? We got to throw those in there somehow. It's not officially a new word uh, yet, but it's been, it's been talked about and, and they're fitting it into the lexicon this year. It's called dooms scrolling. 
You know, it's where you scroll through the, the news, news headlines on your iPhone or, or whatever. And, it, you know, it kind of, uh, it's like you just keep tumbling through and reading the same things over and over. Oh, if it's not one thing, it's another. And we've all kind of done that. But we've all caught ourselves and learned the limit of doom scrolling. Hopefully before bedtime, we don't sit there and do that. Because then we just worry all night long. Now, I'm not trying to bring us down here, and it sounds like I am, but I'm really not. Quite the opposite. This is a reality we've all been living for quite some time, and it's, it's been a tough year. And if there's ever a year that we need Christmas, this is it. This is the hope that we have, the hope of Christmas. If there's ever a year that we have needed Christ, <laughs> This is it. And it's a good thing that we've made it here. Advent. Nearly to Christmas. Entering Advent is, is a very interesting thing because some people enter it, you know, with purpose. And others, it just kind of happens. You know, the season just kind of gets, uh, gets going. The, the season of hope. Advent is all about hope. The word Advent means coming or, or arrival. It's a season traditionally a time of expectation of our Lord, waiting, anticipation, and longing. Advent is not just an extension of Christmas. It is a season that, that, that links God and, to the past, the present, and the future. Advent offers us an opportunity to share this ancient longing that many have had for the coming of the Messiah, to celebrate his birth, and to alert for his, and to be alert for his second coming. Advent uh, looks back in celebration at a, a hope-filled idea of Jesus' coming, while at the same time looking backward and, and, and forward and being hopeful. This eager anticipation of the coming of, of Christ's kingdom for when he returns for you and I, his people. During Advent, we both wait. It's, it's an active and an assured and a hopeful waiting. It's not just sitting around twiddling your thumbs. Far too often our Christmases, have, you know, in past have become this frenzied idea and overwhelming busy. And we talk about it every year and, and talk about how do we slow down and so forth. You know, we, we pack our schedule with seasonal uh, happenings. My wife and I were joking around about this last week because everybody's like, our Christmas is just ruined, you know, and they're, you know, different people, how they react on Facebook and stuff. We can't do this, this, this. And I'm thinking, how busy are these people? I mean, our Christmas, I mean, it looks a little different, but it's not ruined by any means. But I guess we don't pack it full of stuff. I don't know. But I saw the, a, a picture of, of Macy's in New York of how it normally looks at this time of the year on Black Friday, you know, that we just had, and how it looked this year. And it was completely empty, as you could imagine. How we just, you know, we, we have this gift-buying frenzy that starts to happen. And it actually even starts in October, and if you go to Hobby Lobby, it starts before July 4th, okay? You know, our season of peace is quickly kind of overloaded with this uh, season of stress, and this season is different, um, uh, or, or, you know, this year is going to be different than last year and the years before. Everything's just kind of slowed down a lot, hasn't it? It's like you've been in quarantine. Yeah, a friend of ours has just been in quarantine the past two weeks. 
Their family knows what it means to slow down, you know? They're like, you know, they get out, outside finally and they're like, freedom, you know? But Advent is a time to, to set all of this aside. Advent is a time to, to prepare our hearts, our minds, our, our souls, and help us place our focus on a far greater story than our own. A story of, of God's redeeming love for our world and God's redeeming love for you and I. It's a season of, of pretending, or it's not a season of, of pretending to be happy and to, to, you know, all giddy of the, you know, the, or, or covering up the pain or hardships that we might have gone through this year, uh, you know, because, because we continue to experience those things. But it's a season digging deeper into the reality of what it means that God sent his son to this world to be Emmanuel, to be God with us. It is a season of expectation and preparation. An opportunity to align ourselves with God's presence more than just the hectic season of everything that we throw into the Christmas time. So wherever you are, on your level of 2020 anxiety or uncertainty, wherever you are on your spiritual journey, I invite you to the season of Advent. I'd suggest that, you, you, that in the craziness and in the, in the uncertainty of the pandemic this year, that, that we've actually been given a gift. We've been given an opportunity to rediscover Christmas. And that's what we're going to talk about for the next four weeks. We're going to explore the attributes of Christ encapsulated in his birth and the Christmas season of hope, of peace, of joy, and love. And then we celebrate the arrival of Christ. Today we, we begin with this idea of rediscovering uh, you know, the, the, the hope of Christmas even when we're surrounded in this uncertainty. This week we're talking about keeping hope alive. As we explore these themes of Advent over the next four weeks, we'll see how they relate and exemplified in different characters of, you know, the different uh, characters of the biblical Christmas story. But first, let us cover the, the background of these times that the people were living in. We think we got it bad today. We you know pandemic and all this. We think we got it bad today. We can communicate with each other. We have video. We have phones. We have all these things. We're not just stuck in a little dusty town in the backwoods of Israel, okay? We get in our cars and we can drive to the coast. We don't have to go out and ride our donkey, you know? They could make a pretty good case in the time of Jesus where they, much like this, you know, much like the world, were, were a defeated nation under the thumb of the Roman Empire and it was a harsh time to live in. We think we have it harsh today. They had a harsh uh, place to live, a, a time of conquest and brutality. It has been thousands of years since the time of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and, and God calling his people. It's been thousands of years of, of being invaded and conquered by enemies like the Assyrians and the Babylonians and, and the massive empires of the, of the Greeks and the, and, and the Romans. It's been generations and generations since the formation of God's covenant with humanity and with the people of Israel. Promising Messiah that was going to make things right. 
to bless humans and, and to restore uh, you know, all that the humans had messed up since the creation of God's world. The fulfillment of God's covenant and the coming of the Messiah who would make everything right wasn't just a, a happy idea that drifted in and out of the Israelites' consciousness and culture. It was their deepest hope that they had. It was their thing that they longed for the most. It sustained them and encouraged them over the years. And it spurred them on, especially through thousands of years of uncertain waiting. They clung, you know, they, they clung to the, the hope of God's promise to Abraham in Genesis 12.3. And mine's not changing, Lisa. Genesis 12.3 that says, All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Could imagine them saying, How long, oh God? How long? Are we going to have to wait for this? That was the cry of the, of the, the ancient Israelite people. How long can we, can we hope to survive, especially under the world-changing forces of the Greeks and the Roman empires, whose cultures are still influencing today? Where there's still embers of hope left smoldering. As we see in Luke's biblical Christmas story, the answer is yes. Uh, spoiler alert here. Jesus, the Messiah, is born at the first Christmas time, okay? Just, just so you understand that. I know that's no surprise, but I tell you that because I'm going to pick up in Luke's narrative kind of more in an unusual place. Most of the time we, we, you know, we end our Christmas story narrative with, with Mary or we enter it with Mary and Joseph and Jesus in the stable and the prophets come and, and visit or the shepherds come and visit and, and go back to the flocks in the, in the field. Sure, we sneak the Magi in there even though they came a couple of years later uh, you know, and bringing in the Christmas presents because that's what we like. We like the kids with the Christmas pageant, uh, but they really didn't come until those couple of years later, we all sing Silent Night and we roll the credits, you know. Okay, well, well Luke's Christmas narrative does, does end the night of Jesus' birth with the shepherd's departure. Not the three kings, mind you, but the next ongoing scene and Luke's story comes right after that. And I'd like for us to look closely at that uh, today, specifically its characters, Simeon and Anna. It says in Luke 2, 22 through 38, When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And as is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves and two young pigeons. Now there was a, a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of, the, of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. He had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. I wonder if he ever told anybody that. I'm not going to die until I see the Messiah. And everybody else was kind of shaking their head like, you're crazy, man. You're just Lulu. It goes on, it says, moved by the Spirit. He went to the temple courts. When the parents brought 
brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the, in the sight of all nations, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what he had said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. And to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of of many hearts will be revealed, and the sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Peniel, from the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Simeon and Anna were sparks of hope in Israel. More than that, they were torches of hope. They held on to it and they lit that up, expecting God to come to them and through, you know, God to, to come through and, and do what He had promised. They believed this and they lived their life like this and they waited for this. But Simeon and, and Anna are elders in the story. They both lived, you know, long lives. They've seen and experienced many things, but hardships for their people and the pain in their lives, they have seen this. And we know Anna specifically was a widow for decades in a society that did not treat the widows very nice. A position of a very low status in that culture. But they both remained faithful and devoted to God. And they were ready to see God do great things. Are we ready to see God do great things? Do we have that expectant hope that God will do great things? Did you notice in Luke's account that neither Anna or Simeon seemed to, you know, at least bit surprised or uncertain, you know, about the fact that this baby Jesus is the long-promised Messiah? They just knew it. Almost everyone else in the Christmas story so far has been, you know, taking a little coaxing, a little convincing about the whole thing going on. Granted, many of the others had, a, you know, had an angel appear to them with, with a heavenly announcement and it caught them kind of off guard, a little surprised. If not, made them completely terrified, you know, at first. Maybe God knew that Simeon and Anna might just have heart attacks on the spot if he sent an angel to them. So instead, he, he let the Holy Spirit just come to them and, and talk to them. I th- you know, I, I, I think God didn't need an angel to get messages to these two faith giants who were waiting and expecting what the Lord would do. They were ready. They were tuned in to God. They were waiting, watching, and listening, and expecting. They were filled with hope and the hope that made them ready. Day after day, year after year, Simeon and Anna had served God faithfully, inspired and fueled by the, by the Spirit of God and the hope that God was at work. Even though they couldn't see it, 
Even though they didn't know exactly when it would happen, even as time passed and they grew older and older, Simeon and Anna held on to that hope. And they fostered this new and renewed hope as they set their focus on God, worshiping him day after day, serving him day after day, serving other people, those that are around them, and taking one step faithfully at a time as they waited for God's fulfilled promise. Their reaction would be, of course God came through. We knew God was going to do this. He told us, and we were just waiting on that. Of course the Messiah is here. And they rejoiced, and they celebrated this infused new hope into the people that were around them, including Mary and Joseph, who were probably surprised that Anna and Simeon both knew who Jesus was. They knew. I wonder how many people they had told at that point. And here are these two older people come up going, oh, this is awesome. This is the Messiah. He's going to change the world. Simeon and Anna revealed several things about hope. And it's power to, to take away uh, you know, things in this world and apply things into our lives, uh, the hope that we see. First off, hope sees beyond. Hope is a fuel of, of faith and dreams and possibilities. Hope is a whisper of, of maybe, just maybe. It is a, the spark in the cold darkness that catches the flame, and the, it's a flicker of the first light in the morning when the sun is coming up. No matter how bad your year has been, no matter how, you know, or, or what kind of problems and struggles that you may be facing right now, no matter what kind of season of darkness and pain that you might have had so far, let me encourage you never to abandon that hope. Hope is still alive even in our deepest pain that we may have. You know, most hopeless circumstances, hope is still there. Hope chases away the darkness that is out there and the uncertainty. Hope is alive, you know, hope is alive because God is with us. Romans 8.1 is a well-known, um, well-known uh, chapter of the Bible. But there's a section in it that that gets often overlooked. In this chapter, Paul starts out by clarifying that, uh, uh, let's see, is it up? Yeah, it is. There is no condemnation on those who are in Christ Jesus. He then explains our relationship with God's children, what it looks like to, to live by God's Spirit, and then he shifts to, to our future and God's fulfillment of His work in us. And, restore, and restoration of all of creation. And he gets down to verse 24 and through 26. He says that, For in this hope we are saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they have seen or already have? But if we hope for what we do not have yet, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Let me reread that part again. It says, Hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? Self-explanatory, right? Hope exists before reality comes to pass. Every child knows this at Christmas time. My boys are hoping for certain things for Christmas. They cling to that hope. They have that hope. They're not sure if it's going to come to reality or not. 
But once it does come to reality, if they get what they hope for, and I'm not going to say whether they are or not, but if they receive what they hope for, the next day, are they still hoping for it? No, they've already received it. Our hope you know, proceeds our, our present reality. Hope, by its very nature, exists in an uncertain, you know, an uncertain world, an uncertain kind of before. It exists in questions, in doubts even. It is an unclear sense of, of what, you know, what is to come. But hope is a willingness and a desire to believe beyond beyond our present circumstances, beyond the year 2020, beyond the reality that we're, you know, that we're in that's being presented to us. Now, I include the, the beginning of verse 26 in our Romans reading because I think it's really, you know, really important here. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. This kind of leads us to our second thought. God is with us here now and always. See, with God, there is no uncertainty. God knows your pain. God knows your challenges. He knows the different things that you might be going through. He understands those. He's not taken you know, by surprise by this new coronavirus you know, and how it mutated and went you know, global and it spread everywhere. He was not you know, surprised when the, you know, the economy froze and sunk and jobs were on the line. He was not surprised when you or, or someone you know received the, the dreaded diagnosis of, of cancer or whatever's going on. Or, you know, he, he's not surprised by those things. He's not surprised when your heart is broken or shattered or left you in uncertainty or confusion. He sees you and he is here. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And this hope he delivers, the hope that he embodies, you know, it's fulfilled and it's brought into this world a long time ago. The hope that he offers today, this is not a hope that he dangles in front of us, taunting us just out of reach. This is not somebody who's going, well, I might give that to you. No. It's the hope that's a promise. He, you know, it, it's, it's a hope that, that, that is there. It influences us. It is a hope that's filled and fanned within us by God's Holy Spirit. Even in our weakness, even in our grim circumstances, even in our deepest pain, when the faintest gleam of hope is there, it seems sometimes like it's too far away or impossible when we feel too, too weak to carry on, when we feel our grasp is you know, slipping and, and the ability to, to try to hope, His Spirit is with us and brings it back to us. His Spirit helps us restore the hope by reminding us of God's faithfulness and his promises. His spirit leads us into God's words as it reminds us of all the things that God has done for us and all the promises that he gives us that, you know, that we should remember. Our God, our Emmanuel, who is with us, has promised his people throughout history and us today the message of hope 
including things like this. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. I don't know anybody who's grown up in the church that during youth group that that has not been one of the themes. You know what I'm saying? He goes on to say in Isaiah 43, Do not fear, for I've redeemed you. I've summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not, you know, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Now, if that's not giving you hope, I don't know what, it, what would. I mean, do you feel the hope in those leading words? We're not even alone or, or even our loneliest or our darkest moments. Christ has come and our God is with us every step of the way and we need to remember that. We need to cling to that. Because hope inspires us to carry on. The Apostle Paul describes a cycle of hope like this in Romans 5. He explains that because, you know, that because of Jesus, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in your suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. And character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hands through the Holy Spirit who has, given, who, who has been given to us. This hope from God's Spirit does not put us to shame. I love that. Because so often we, we, we have this shamefulness about us because we know what we've done. We've seen our sin. We, we've acted out on our, our thoughts, our actions that led us into sin. So we hold the shame over us. And, and God is sitting there, I've given you a hope, not one of shame. It will not let us down. This hope will not disappoint us. Instead, it gives us a new and growing strength to see beyond the pain and the confusion right in front of us and to hold on to God. This empowering of hope reminds me of a great story from the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, do you remember hearing about Co- Captain Tom the last couple of weeks? Have you, do you know who I'm talking about? Anyone? Do you not watch the news? Okay. Well, in all the doom and gloom of the pandemic, Captain Tom rose as a hero in, the, in, in England. An unlikely likely hero at that. Tom Moore, now Sir, or Captain Sir Tom Moore, because he was knighted by the Queen of England. He's a 100-year-old man who single-handedly started fundraising that raised $40 million for the British healthcare system by walking 100 laps around his garden. 100 laps for 100 years. What started out as a little challenge from his son-in-law to donate $1 per lap, or over there they would say a pound, okay, went viral when his daughter posted the campaign on an online charity uh, uh, site, and the news kind of spread quickly, and suddenly this World War II veteran, you know, gripping his walker, don't you love that? 100 laps with his walker. Wearing a navy blue blazer decorated with his military medals, walking around his garden. 
became a national hero. Captain Tom became an inspiration. I mean, what an amazing story this is. And he says he wants to travel the world once the pandemic subsides. And I hope that this uh, 100-year-old was able to do that, you know? I hope I get to be able to, to get to that, you know, 100-year-old, uh, uh, you know, I don't know if I'll be able to make that 100 year I hit 50, I'm halfway there, you know? But there's a great lesson about hope in this story. Listen to what Captain Tom told the reporters. He said, the first step was the hardest. After that, I got into the swing of it and kept going. <laughs> I love it. The first step was the hardest. And isn't it true of so many things for us? Isn't that true of hope? The first step is the hardest. Because that means we have to put belief to what we think. It can be hard to lift our downcast, tear-filled eyes to look at that tiny speck of hope when we feel swallowed by pain. That can seem so difficult to reach beyond our, our troubles to grasp the Lord's outstretched hand. It can feel so impossible to take that first step towards hope when we're weighted down by the burdens of this world in the year 2020. But when we receive the promise of hope in God's word, we should find new strength in it. We should accept the power of hope granted to us in God's Spirit, and we should find new inspiration in our lives when we focus on the power of hope embodied in the birth and life and death and resurrection and return and in the eternity of Jesus. We discover new hope and new strength to take that first step and to keep on stepping and walking, and for us younger ones, maybe even running. But it starts one step at a time. Hope inspires us. Hope embodies us, you know, and, and hope builds upon us, and, and, and it keeps on going no matter what. So what is your next step of hope today? What is your next step in this hope of, of this Advent season? So often as humans, we want to see what happens tomorrow. We want to know what happens in the future. I love the, uh, the meme that's going around on Facebook where uh, it has a closing sign on the, on the palm reader and the, you know, the, the fortune teller. And somebody put on there, they should have seen that one coming. Yeah, you would think. We want to know what's going to happen in the future. We want to skip to the end of the story, but our lives just don't work that way. It's not the privilege that we've been granted, but in Christ, we've been given the end of the ultimate story. In Christ, we've been given the, the, the true life that transcends the, the pains of earth and the brokenness of our present world. In this Advent season, we find hope in the rival in the life of Jesus. We can draw hope from God's faithfulness. Faithfulness to generations. He started out with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and that hope that held on all the way to Anna and, 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 and Simeon as, as they were waiting to see Christ born. All the way to us. We can draw 
on that hope of God's faithfulness and fulfilling his long-awaited you know, promise of the Messiah. We can hold on to that hope of, of God's continued work in us and around us that one day, uh, you know, it one day uh, take away even that, the need for hope because we will realize that we're in God's full restoration, that we will be with him in the end. In the midst of whatever is, you know, this world is throwing at us, we can experience the hope of God's spirit within us because it carries us, it strengthens us, it emboldens us, it allows us to take that step, that step of hope. My invitation this morning is, is for you to take that step toward hope in this Advent season because hope is dawning, because Christ is coming. Christ will return again, and that is the hope that we hold on to, not the ills of this world. Let's welcome God into our hearts, into our lives, into our minds, into our feet, into our hands, into our everyday life, in this expectation of hope. Let me end with Romans fifteen thirteen. It says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is an amazing thing. God fills us with the hope. We don't even have to go out and search for it. He freely gives it to us with all the joy and all the peace as we trust in him. Amen? Well, let's pray as the worship team comes back up here and finishes us out. Lord, I pray for that spirit of hopefulness in our lives. This year has really taken a toll on a lot of people. And they need that hope. They need that spark. And I pray as we enter into Advent, the idea that, that, that you have come here for us. We don't ever have to, to wait on your arrival to this earth. You've already been here, Lord. Let us hold on to that ex expectation that you will return again, that this is not the end of things. We hold on to that hope that things will be much better when we are with you. Whatever day that that will you know, come, Lord that we know where we're going in the end. So we don't have to worry about that. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine down upon you. And may His Spirit give you hope during this season. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Don't get